Good morning. Our scripture for today comes from Luke chapter 23, verses 1 through 16. And it says, Then the whole company of them arose and brought him before Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar and saying that he himself is Christ, a king. And Pilate asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? And he answered him, You have said so. Then Pilate said to the chief priests and the crowds, I find no guilt in this man. But they were urgent, saying, He stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea, from Galilee even to this place. When Pilate heard this, he asked whether the man was a Galilean. And when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who was himself in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad, for he had long desired to see him, because he had heard about him, and he was hoping to see some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. The chief priests and the scribes stood by, vehemently accusing him. And Herod, with his soldiers, treated him with contempt and mocked him. Then, arraying him in splendid clothing, he sent him back to Pilate. And Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day, for before this they had been at enmity with each other. Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. Neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by him. I will therefore punish and release him. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning, y'all. It's good to see you. It is good to gather as a church family to celebrate what God continues to do in us and through us. If you would, go ahead and grab your Bible. Turn with me to Luke chapter 23. Luke chapter 23, you may already be there. Lindsay always does a phenomenal job reading the story for us, setting the stage with what God has to say. But if you're joining us for the first time or the first time in a while, we are in a study. We are still in a study that's taking us all the way through the story of Jesus from the gospel of Luke. And we started this study several months ago with the birth of Jesus. We've followed him through his ministry and much of his life. And today, as we pick up the story, we see Jesus on trial. Now, the story's unfolding very quickly. A lot of things are taking place in a very short amount of time. Last week, Jesus celebrated the pa we saw Jesus celebrate the Passover meal with his disciples and then instituted the Lord's Supper that we still celebrate today, some 2,000 years later. Subsequently, he was betrayed by one of those disciples. He was arrested by the Jews. They realized they were powerless to do anything, so they drag him to Pilate, and they pass him off to Pilate, and that's where we pick up the story today. And so if you have grown up around church at all, you're probably familiar with the story that we're going to read today. It's just one of those stories that we read every year, at least at Easter time, but I would just encourage you, don't fill in the gaps yet. Let's read this story slowly, and let's see if we can find ourselves in the story. Now, every time I say that, we have to be very careful because when we open the story of God's word and we project ourselves onto the pages, I don't know about you, but I think we always project ourselves as the hero, right? We all want to be the hero in the story, but it's a pretty safe bet. Tonight, uh, today's, uh, today's story, Jesus is the hero. And it's a pretty safe bet. If Jesus is the hero, we are not Jesus, Right? So like, if we're going to find yourself in the story, it's a pretty safe bet we're not Jesus. That just leaves Herod and Pilate, two local leaders who at first glance, it doesn't seem like we have a lot in common with. But when we look a little closer at their interaction, their encounter with Jesus, we'll see if we find some of our story aligns 
with their story. And as we look at their story, we're going to see one thing. We're going to see the danger of indecision. The danger of indecision. Uh, We're going to see that Pilate and Herod both, as they encountered Jesus, they couldn't decide what they wanted to do with Jesus. And we're going to see that when it comes to Jesus, indecision is a decision. Now, I think we know this, just like in our life. Indecision is a decision. If we put off a decision long enough, the decision seems to make, um, be made for us. If you've ever tried to have a movie night at home and you want to watch something on Netflix, you know the feeling, right? Like there's nothing going on that night, so you sit down on the couch, you're so excited, maybe you and your husband or wife or your family, and you sit down and you want to watch a movie, and so you turn on Netflix, and three hours later, you're still scrolling, trying to decide what movie you want to watch, and all of a sudden, it's time to go to bed, and you realize that the indecision became a decision, that you're no longer going to watch a movie, now you have to deal with the consequences of it, you have to live with the consequences of not following a conviction. So we do that with the small things in our life. We certainly do that with the spiritual things, the more significant things, the things regarding Jesus. We're going to look at this story from two completely different perspectives today. I don't know where you're coming from, but if you've never put your faith in Jesus, maybe that's why you're here today. Maybe you're here today because the Holy Spirit has been stirring. You don't even know what it is or why it is, but you just feel like you need to investigate Jesus for the first time or for the first time in a long time. And you've kind of put off the decision. You know that you need to make a decision about Jesus. Am I going to follow him? Am I not going to follow him? But you're just not sure. We're going to see that indecision is a decision. And you'll have to deal with the delay of your decision. At the same time, and maybe this is more of us today, like if you've put your faith in Jesus, but you are struggling with that daily decision we have to make to follow Jesus every day that we're going to follow Jesus in the direction that he's leading us. You're struggling to decide that. We're going to find that indecision is a decision. All right, so we've set the stage. If you've got your Bibles, Luke chapter 23, starting in verse 1, it says this. It says, then the whole company of them arose. This is the chief priests, the religious leaders who've arrested Jesus. They rose and they brought Jesus before Pilate, and they began to accuse him, saying, we found this man misleading our nation and forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar, saying that he himself is a king. So what's going on here? As we start this story, the religious leaders, they've arrested Jesus. Judas, his disciple, has betrayed him. They've arrested him. They've tried him in the Jewish court, and they realize they were powerless to do anything. Their goal was to put Jesus to death, but they could not put Jesus to death without Roman approval. And so they dragged Jesus to Pilate, the Roman ruler in that region at that time. They throw, they throw Jesus down before Pilate and they accuse him of everything, anything and everything they can think of. They say, this man is causing confusion in our nation. What they're trying to say is he's, he's causing an uprising. He's getting the people riled up, which is not true. Like just a few hours before this, they arrested Jesus and the, the, they went out with soldiers and spears and swords and Jesus was there with just a few of his closest friends and followers. And what did they do? Peter went to raise a sword against them. He said, no, I'll go, right? And they just, they bring Jesus and they make up a lie that he's trying to cause an insurrection. He's trying to cause an uprising. That's not true. They said he's forbidding us to give tribute to Caesar. Again, not true. A few days ago, these same people were there in the temple courts when they brought a question to Jesus. Should we pay our taxes? And Jesus says, yes, pay your taxes. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's for the work of Caesar and give to God what is God for the work of God's. Pay your taxes, give faithfully to the church. I think that's what Jesus was saying. So not true. And then finally, they said, he's also saying that he's Christ. He's the king, which was true, but not true in the way they were trying to explain it. Because they were trying to present Jesus as a political threat to Pilate. And so they don't really have anything. 
They're jealous of Jesus. They're jealous that the crowds keep coming to Jesus. They're jealous of how the people marvel at the miracles that Jesus is performing. They're jealous at the answers that he's able to give. And they look at his life and there's really nothing there to accuse him of. But so they kind of throw some things together. They piecemeal some things together. They make up some lies. They come to Pilate. They throw Jesus before Pilate. And they just say, this is all we got. And they hope that Pilate will pick up what they give him and have Jesus crucified because that was their goal. And we will see that it did get Pilate's attention. At the very least, even if the charges weren't true, and even if Pilate knew the charges weren't true, this got Pilate's attention. We know from history outside of the Bible, even that there were some things going on in Pilate's life that made him very uncomfortable. There was some political unrest. He had allied himself with some people in Rome who'd recently been overthrown. And so his bosses in Rome, they weren't exactly very favorable of Pilate. At the same time, he was trying to lead the Jewish people who did not like him, who saw him at the very Uh, the very most a means to a political end. And so his bosses didn't like him. His uh, subordinates didn't like him. As Kevin said in the communion meditation, Matthew tells us that his wife and him even had tension. His wife was having dreams about Jesus and she didn't like the way that Pilate was handling Jesus. And so there's Pilate's life is completely unraveling and caused him to be very uncomfortable. And so when they bring Jesus and they present Jesus to Pilate, he does give Jesus at least a little bit of intention. But I wonder before we move on, if this is one of those areas that we're a lot like Pilate. Because when Jesus was dropped in his lap, he had to decide how he was going to respond. I don't think it was on Pilate's plan, on his agenda, as he came to Jerusalem for the feast to be presented with Jesus. But nonetheless, Jesus was presented to him. And he then had to decide how was he going to respond to the Jesus who was presented to him. A lot like Pilate, I think Jesus has been presented to us. In fact, I know for a fact Jesus has been presented to you because you're here today and we are presenting Jesus to you. But maybe it's, you feel like Jesus is being presented to you over and over again. Maybe, again, we're kind of approaching this from two different perspectives. If you've never put your faith in Jesus, you're hearing about Jesus for the very first time. Or maybe for the first time in a long time, it just seems like everywhere you turn, you keep hearing about Jesus. Like you come to church and you hear a sermon or you sing a song or you've read a scripture, maybe even on accident, all of a sudden Jesus is there before you. Maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time and and trying to decide if you're going to follow him on a daily basis. And it seems like everywhere you turn, every decision you have to make, much like Pilate, there's the circumstances in your life are making it possible for Jesus to make himself very known to you. One of the things I think we see is more I understand scripture and the more I get the opportunity to serve people is that all of us, whether we realize it or not, have these convictions stirring down deep within us. That is, things in our life, like Pilate's life, begin to unravel or at the very least get uncomfortable. Those are the opportunities that Jesus always finds a way to present himself. Have you ever experienced this? Like you're driving down the road and you want to turn on country music and you accidentally turn on Z88.3 and all of a sudden there's Jesus. He's in the car with you. Like, it's like, I was looking for that. And then like, turn it off and you see a billboard. It's like, there's Jesus. It's almost like he's trying to draw his people to himself. But we have these convictions. And so like Pilate, when Jesus is placed before us, the question we have to wrestle with on a daily basis is how are we going to respond? What are the, are we going to make a decision about Jesus? How did Pilate respond? It goes on, it says in verse three, it says, and Pilate asked him, are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered him, you have said so, which is basically Jesus' way of saying, you know. Are you king of Jews? You know. Then Pilate said to the chief priests in the crowds, crowds, I find no guilt in this man. So again, we're reading this through 2,000 years of history. We're very familiar with the text because this is such a 
pivotal part of the gospel message. But think about the story as, as it's unfolding. The, the chief priests and the religious leaders who aren't exactly friends with Pilate, they grab Jesus, they bring him to Pilate, they present Pilate with as many accusations as they can pull together. The, the most concerning one that Pilate has to address is that he's claiming to be the king. And so he says to Jesus, are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus says, you know, like he's saying, yeah, it is as you say. And then Pilate goes back to the crowd and he says, I don't see anything wrong with this guy. Which, before we move on, like, what an in-depth investigation. I mean, think about it. Pilate was put there by Rome to maintain peace. They bring Jesus to Pilate. They, he's claiming to be a king. He's challenging Caesar. And Pilate just simply asks him a question. Hey, are you a king? And he's like, yeah. And like, I would like to think there's more to the story than Luke included, and maybe there was. We know that not every part of Jesus' life is included here for us, but I often wonder, like, maybe not. Maybe that's as in-depth as Pilate was willing to go, because the truth is, sometimes in our life, when Jesus makes himself very clear, we don't lean in and look very hard because we're afraid that if we figure something out about Jesus, we're going to be forced to make a decision with Jesus. Have you ever felt that way? Like if I lean in, the moment I lean in and find something out about Jesus, I'm going to be forced to make a decision. If I really look into Jesus, I might have to decide what I do with Jesus. And so it's better just not to look. Now that's a terrible life philosophy, but I think we do it in more ways than we would like to admit. This morning I got in my truck. It was, I was on my way to church. It was a few minutes before seven. The sun was just coming up and I turned my truck on. And there's like the, the engine started up and there was a thump in the, oven, in the engine. I don't know exactly what it is because I'm not a mechanic, but it sounded like a thump to me. I was like, what in the world is this? So I, I got out. I opened the hood. I looked at it. It looks good to me. I closed the hood. I got back in the car. The AC turned on. I've got places to go, people to see, a church to set up. And so I just left as if I knew what I was looking at, right? Like, I, I don't know. The, the, the engine, the transmission could be falling out for all I know. But nonetheless, like, I, I gave it a quick glance, but I didn't want to look further because I didn't want to have to go through the trouble of unhooking the trailer, figuring out another way to get it here. I certainly didn't want to go through the expense of taking it to a mechanic and having it looked at, having it serviced. And so I just went about my day. Like, I didn't look much further. I think there might be something wrong with it. I don't know. It got me here. I hope it gets me home. And I'll see you next. Like if we have sound stuff set up next week, the, the truck still works, right? But the, we, like, as funny as that sounds, we know it's a terrible philosophy, but so often we're willing to do the same thing with Jesus. Like he has presented to us. Someone we know, someone we love has told us about Jesus. They bring Jesus to us. They tell us how he's changed their life. And we're, we're presented with the, like, the opportunity. What are we going to do? Like, are we going to lean in and see what this Jesus is all about? Or are we going to just kind of take a quick glance, think it all looks good, and move on because we don't want to change our life? Maybe you've been trying to follow Jesus for a long time, and you've got a community group around you, you've got friends around you, you've got a church around you that's telling you things that Jesus would have you do, like helping you see parts of your life where you've stopped following Jesus faithfully, and they presented you with Jesus, and you've got an opportunity. Do I dig into God's word? Do I look to see if my life is really aligned with what God would have for me? Or do I just give it a quick glance, think, no, I'm good, and move on? That was Pilate's approach. In fact, it gets even better, this indecision. It says, but they were urgent, verse 5, saying, he stirs up the people, teaching throughout all Judea from Galilee, even to this place. The crowd's not going to let Pilate off the hook that easy. They have a, a purpose that they want to accomplish. And so when Pilate heard this, he asked whether this man was a Galilean. All of a sudden, as they're pushing Pilate to do something with Jesus, pushing him to make a decision he didn't want to make, he hears, oh, this man's from Galilee. 
This ministry, this movement, this message, this man, he started in Galilee, and then it dawns on him, Galilee's not his jurisdiction. So maybe this message, like this doesn't apply to him. Maybe this isn't actually his problem after all. It says, and when he learned that he belonged to Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him over to Herod, who, who was himself in Jerusalem at the time, which is ironic because he was probably in the same palace. The, the nicest place in all of Jerusalem outside of the temple was the, the palace of Herod. And so Pilate, this high-ranking governing official, when he came to town, probably stayed in Herod's palace on one side and Herod on the other. But as soon, even though he couldn't get far from the problem, as soon as Pilate heard that maybe Jesus wasn't from his jurisdiction, that this wasn't his problem, this didn't apply to his life, he was quick to send him away. And I wonder again, like, is this one of those same things that we do? And I'm not trying to press the metaphor too far, but do we think sometimes that Jesus isn't really for us? We've seen it works for our friends. We've seen it works for our family. We know it's changed our coworkers' life. We see what God is doing through our church family, but maybe Jesus isn't really for me. That's the approach Pilate takes. So he doesn't look in very far, and as soon as he sees an out, he takes it. He sends it to Herod. But I like how Herod responds. Verse 8, when Herod saw Jesus, he was very glad. Like, he was actually excited to see Jesus, for he longed to desire to see him. Maybe this is you. Maybe you're here today, because, like, you actually really want to see Jesus. You're not like Pilate. Jesus wasn't dumped in your lap. You've been, you're here because you want to find Jesus. He heard about him and was hoping to see some sign, some sign done by him. So he questioned him at some length, but he made no answer. We don't know what Herod's questions were, but I have to think Herod had been leading the Jews for some time. So he'd heard about all the miraculous signs that Jesus performed. And so he had thought, maybe I could get Jesus to do one of these miraculous signs. And so like, I don't know what the questions are. I'm completely speculating. This is nowhere in scripture, but like maybe he was saying, Jesus, you know, if I was like throwing a party and wanted to serve some wine and all I had were these water jars, like what would you do with them? And Jesus is like not taking the bait, right? And he's like, what if Jesus, like I was really hungry. All of my officials were really hungry. Wanted to serve dinner. All I have is like, I don't know, five loaves, two fish. You know, if I just gave them to you, Jesus, what would you do? And, and Jesus just remained silent. And then, like, I don't know, we do know Herod's crazy. I'll tell you more about that in a minute. Minute, I was like, I wonder, this is not in the story, so please don't hold me to it. Like, Herod takes out his sword and just, like, kills one of his soldiers on the spot. He killed his family, so it's not beyond the realm of imagination. All right, Jesus, this guy was laying here dead. What would you do about it? And Jesus, nonetheless, just sits there. Herod wanted to see a miracle, but when Jesus doesn't do miracles on demand, Herod gets discouraged. And here what goes on, it says, so he questioned him at some length, but Jesus made no answer. He wasn't going to be baited into being the person that Herod wanted him to be. The chief priests and the scribes stood by vehemently accusing him, and Herod with his soldiers treated him with contempt and mocked him, then arraying him in splendid clothing, mocking him. He sent him back to Pilate. Herod was discouraged when Jesus didn't meet his expectations, so he decided, I'm not going to make a decision on this guy. I'm going to send him back to Pilate. Now, we would never try to do the same thing, right? Try to bait Jesus into doing what we want Jesus to do. Like, Jesus, if you will just perform a miracle and heal me, then I will make a decision to follow you. Jesus, if you will just be the good God I know that you are and give me a relationship, then I will decide to follow you. Jesus, if you will just get me out of the relationship I'm in. Then, like, see, we all, we, it doesn't matter what season of life we're in. We always find ourselves asking God for a miracle. But Jesus doesn't do miracles on demand. And I wonder if we're like Herod, we get discouraged and we just send Jesus away back to Pilate, back in Pilate's lap. Jesus isn't going to answer our prayers. If Jesus, we think if Jesus isn't going to answer my prayers, if he isn't going to heal me the way I want to be healed, if he isn't going to give me what I want to give, then I'm not going to make a decision on what I do with Jesus. Verse 12 says, and Herod and Pilate became friends with each other that very day. For this, sorry, for before this, they had been at enmity with each other. 
This isn't really the point of the sermon, but I find this verse both hilarious and convicting at the same time. It's just like this like, footnote that Luke throws right in the middle of the story. Because we don't know, if we're reading Luke's gospel, that Herod and Pilate are at odds. From history, secular history, we realize that. But Pilate, is, Jesus is placed on Pilate's plate. He sends him to Herod. Herod doesn't like what he gets, and so he sends him back. And all of a sudden, Herod and Pilate are friends. I find it hilarious because I can just kind of imagine in the palace as Jesus is being passed back and forth, the conversation that Jesus or that Pilate and Herod are having, like, did we just become best friends? Like, I didn't like you and you didn't like me, but we both don't like Jesus. And so maybe we just became best friends. I find that kind of funny, but I find it incredibly convicting because I realize that we will always find someone. We'll always find someone who will tell us what we want to hear. These guys were at odds with each other. They were political rivals. They had no friendship. In fact, Pilate probably passed Jesus up to Herod to put Herod in a bad position. But when they realized that they both didn't like Jesus, they became friends. We will always find someone who will cheer us on, who will champion us when we are opposed to Jesus. You can always find someone to cheer you on. The question is, are they going to cheer you on toward Jesus or away from Jesus? Are the people you are surrounded with, are your best friends pointing you to Jesus? And this isn't, here's just like a litmus test. Like, what direction? I feel like you want to know the answer to that. Like, everyone's sound, like, everyone who's your friend is telling you what you want to hear. Like, that feels good. But then ask yourself, like, step back, because you're not dumb, and say, like, what direction is their life going? Because all of a sudden, Pilate and Herod became best friends. And we do know how Herod's story ended. And we don't have time to turn there, but if you want to make a note, it's Acts chapter 12, verses 21 through 24. It's not too long after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, maybe a year or two. Herod is so focused on surrounding himself with people who will celebrate him. When some of the towns under his rule don't agree with Herod, he gets incredibly frustrated. So he kind of baits them into coming back and worshiping him. And so begrudgingly, because they need Herod's favor, they come and they worship him. And Herod uh, is so flippantly frustrated with them that he lets them worship him. And then it says, because he did not give God glory, because he was so focused on himself and surrounding, him pe- surrounding himself with people who celebrate his selfish desires, that the angel of the Lord struck him down. And then it even tells us how. It says he was eaten by worms and died. So sometimes God works miracles and just strikes people down. Sometimes he just lets them be eaten from the inside out by worms. It's a pretty gruesome scene, but Josephus, a secular historian, would tell us the same thing. He would say Herod died of incredible uh, pain in his stomach and was ultimately worms. He accumulated some kind of parasite. It, would just, it kind of makes me wonder, like, are the people we're surrounding ourselves with, Herod and Pilate, are they pointing us to Jesus or are they drawing us away from Jesus? Are your best friends stirring you on towards Jesus or are they celebrating your selfishness? Are you plugging into a community group that can know you to study the word of God with you and see where you're thriving and see where you're struggling so they might encourage you in the direction that God is calling you? But indecision is always going to end up being a decision. So recap so far, two leaders, Herod and Pilate, presented with Jesus, but neither wants to make a decision about Jesus. Pilate barely looks into Jesus. He passes him off at first opportunity. Herod is frustrated and discouraged by Jesus. Neither want to make a decision to set him free. Neither want to make a decision to have him killed. So Herod passes Jesus back to Pilate. I love this. Verse 13, Pilate says he gave him back, uh, sent him back to Pilate. And I love it because, like, Pilate didn't want Jesus, and all of a sudden, Jesus is back. Has it ever felt like that for you? Like, Jesus was presented to you in the form of a conviction, Holy Spirit stirring you, drawing you, like, knowing you need to make a decision about Jesus, and you think you push him out of your life, and then all of a sudden, without realizing, he's back. That's what's going on with Pilate. 
He thought he got rid of Jesus. He thought he took care of the problem, but Herod just sends him back. And all of a sudden, Jesus is back. Verse 13 says, Pilate then called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people. He said to them, you brought me this man as one who was misleading the people. And after examining him before you, behold, I did not find this man guilty of any of your charges against him. He's not stirring up insurrection in the city. He's, he's already paid his taxes. He's not telling you not pay taxes. He's claiming to be the Messiah, not a political threat to Pilate or to Caesar. And he says, neither did Herod, for he sent him back to us. Look, nothing deserving death has been done by this man. Verse 16 befuddles me. I will therefore punish and release him. It's like, that doesn't seem to make a lot of sense. Pilate gets Jesus back. He goes back to the chief priest and he says the same thing. I've, I've looked into this man. Herod looked into this man. We're in agreement. We're best friends now. It doesn't seem like Jesus has done anything to deserve death, but I will, nonetheless, I will punish him. Like, what for? Pilate wanted to go part way with Jesus. Like he didn't want to kill Jesus unjustly, but he also wanted to stay in good standing with the people that he was leading. And so he wanted to go part way with Jesus. He wanted the approval of the people and he wanted to make the right decision with Jesus. Here's what we know, that's not possible. It wasn't possible for Pilate and it's not possible for us today. Here's the problem. Jesus always offers us an all or nothing proposition. It's always all or nothing. You can be all in on Jesus, or you can push him, try to push him all the way out of your life, but you cannot go part way with Jesus. You can follow him with your life, or you can keep him from your life, but you cannot do both. This is one of the reasons that when we talk about who, this is a side note, but it's a tangent, when we talk about like who calls Eastside home, you know who we say calls Eastside home? People who are all in. Like there will always be space for spectators, and we want to be a place where people can come and hear about Jesus, but we are calling people to exchange the common for the holy. Like, we're not here to just fill a bunch of seats. If we were trying to do that, we would, I don't know, have a monster truck rally or something. I have no idea. Like, our goal is to make this, that would, I wouldn't go to that, but maybe, maybe, if we did Dungeons and Dragons, half the church would come. Okay, I don't know. But nonetheless, like, uh, we're not here to entertain people that bounce from church to church or don't plug into discipleship group or just show up on Sunday or show up sometimes. Are here, are, we exist to lead people to exchange the common for the holy. It is an all or nothing proposition, not because that's what I want, but because that's what Jesus calls us to. There's no space for going some of the way with Jesus. It's all or nothing. It's all and nothing with Jesus. It's all or nothing with his church. Now, if you're just taking out church for the first time, that sounds harsh. Let me finish the sermon. But when we go all in with Jesus, he gives us immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. He, gives, he blows our minds, as we'll see, but I don't want to give away the end of the sermon. It's an all-or-nothing proposition with Jesus. In fact, a few years later, about 60 years later, Jesus would write a letter through the Apostle John to the church in Laodicea. We have it preserved for us in the book of Revelation, chapter 3, verses 15 through 16, and to the church to the church, to the gathering of believers, just like us, in Laodicea, he says this. He says, I know your works. You're neither cold nor you're hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. It's an all or nothing proposition with Jesus. It's always been that way. He's here to lead us to exchange the common for the holy. Honor God, like, and, and I want, and like, we can, I'm not going to pick on any particular sins, but I wonder if, like, I wonder if we do this all the time. Like, we want God to give us a, a, a wonderful marriage, but we won't honor him with our dating life. We won't be faithful in the things he's called us to be faithful to. We want God to bless us financially, but we won't be faithful to give generously. We want God to 
give us a family, but we won't be faithful to steward the next generation that's already been entrusted to us. We want to go part way with Jesus. Pilate wanted to go part way with Jesus. What, what, what I find so funny is even the, the crowd that wanted to kill Jesus wouldn't accept that Pilate could go part way with Jesus. Verse 18 says, but they cried out all together, away with this man and release to us Barabbas. So like not only was it not okay with Jesus, it wasn't even okay with the crowd for them to go, for Pilate to try to go part way. There's this tradition, and we'll kind of skip ahead there was this tradition at Passover that the, the chief priest or the, the leader's pilot would be released to the people, a prisoner of their choosing. And uh, he thought, I'm going to pass this. He's so indecisive. He's like, I'm going to pass this decision on to the people. I'm going to take out the worst prisoner that we have in holding, Barabbas, who was probably set to be crucified in on the cross that Jesus was ultimately crucified on. We'll get to that in a second. I'm going to take him out. He's caused insurrection. He's, called, he's caused murder. He's killed some of these people's friends. He's, he's causing trouble for them. And then I'm going to take out Jesus. I'm going to give them the choice. They can decide because Pilate is so indecisive. He's trying to pass this decision on the crowd, but here's the thing. No one else can make your decision for you. Just like with Pilate, no one else can make your decision. And, and just like with Pilate, no decision is a decision. A decision ultimately gets made, just like when Netflix, when you're watching Netflix and you run out of time, you find your fate is sealed. Verse 23 says this, and here's how the story ends. He says, but they were urgent. They were demanding with loud cries, cries that he should be crucified and their voices prevailed. Basically, Pilate let it get so far that the decision made itself. Pilate never, even in Matthew's gospel, he washed his hands trying to say, this was not my decision, but it was because of his indecision. So Pilate decided that uh, their demand should be granted he gave the people what they wanted. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder for whom they had asked, but he delivered Jesus over to their will. Being delivered over to their will is one of the scariest things that God can ever do. Because so often, if God gives us what we, if God gives, if we give the, if we, if God gives the people what they want, they won't be happy with what they get, right? Proverbs says it this way, there is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way of death. Like what makes sense to us will ultimately make us miserable. It will rob us of life. And so Pilate was indecisive in what he would do with Jesus. He looked in and tried to pass him off. He went part way. He, try, he tried to pass on the decision onto the people. He made no decision, but the decision ultimately made itself. And Pilate found that no decision is a decision, and eventually the decision sealed his fate. A short time later in the book of Acts, which if you hang around through the fall, we will be in our next study in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 4, verses 26 through 27. The church, again, gathers together, celebrating all that God is doing, allowing the people to suffer for the sake of Christ. And this is what they recount as they praise God. The, the church in Acts chapter 4 says, The kings of earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel. Which is kind of confusing, because when you read the text, it doesn't really look like Pilate is against Jesus. It looks like Pilate doesn't want anything to do with Jesus. But the church knew then, what the church knows now, that if we're not for God, we're against God. If we're not for God, we're serving ourselves. And if we're serving ourselves, we're ultimately opposed to God. And so Pilate's fate was sealed by his lack of decisiveness, his indecision. His, it ultimately determined his destiny. His legacy in the years that followed and for the rest of human history would be that Pontius Pilate was against Jesus because he didn't make a decision 
to be with Jesus. Herod and Pilate gathered together against the Lord, against his anointed. No decision made their decision for them. But here's the good news, and it is good news. God used what Pilate permitted, his indecisiveness, his indecision that Satan intended for evil for our good. Because Pilate let Jesus go to a cross, because he ultimately handed Jesus over to the will of the people, Jesus went to the cross for us. And we definitely don't have time for this, but I think it's so fascinating that the first person Jesus died for was Barabbas. I didn't know this until this week as I was studying this text. There's a very good chance that the people, the robbers, the insurrectionists that Jesus was crucified between, the one on his left and the one on his right, were Barabbas's co-laborers against Rome, his co-conspirators against Rome. Barabbas got off of his cross and Jesus got onto his cross. Jesus took his place. And for the rest of human history, the guilty have been going free because the innocent was crucified for all who would put their faith and their trust in him. I had the privilege this week to share the gospel very simply with uh, someone looking to put their faith in Jesus for the very first time. And the, the gospel is so simple. We put our trust in Jesus. We put our trust in the work he did for us. And we give our life to him. We repent. We turn our life over to Jesus. We make him Lord of our life. We make a decision and we solidify that decision when we get baptized, saying that in a very real, miraculous way, I am dying to myself so that I can live with Jesus. See Romans chapter 6. Um, we're past out of time, so turn over to Acts chapter 6, if you would. Um, I only have 24 more verses. Acts, 20, Acts chapter 8, I'm sorry, verse 27, says this. Think about this story. It says, and he arose, this is talking about a guy named Philip, who was an early follower of Jesus. It says, and Philip arose, and there was an Ethiopian eunuch, a court official of Candace, the queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all of her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship. And so very quickly, we'll set the stage. This was a foreigner who came to Jerusalem because he was trying to figure out faith. He had come to the temple because he had heard about God, and he knew the place to go to learn about God was the temple. And so this was after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, this Ethiopian eunuch, this official in the, in the queen's court. He comes to Jerusalem to figure out who this God is that has been put on his plate. And as he was returning, seated in his chair, he was reading the prophet Isaiah. And you can kind of imagine how the story went. The Ethiopian eunuch came to the temple. He heard about God. He probably, because of his wealth and his position, bought a scroll, which would have been very expensive. He said, I'm going to take this home for further reading. And he's, and he's traveling, he's on a chair, he's being driven, and he's reading the prophet Isaiah, this Old Testament prophet. It says, and the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him and heard him reading Isaiah the prophet and asked him, do you understand what you're reading? I think it's hilarious that the guy was reading out loud. Maybe he's reading for the drivers. They're trying to figure it out together. And the Ethiopian eunuch said, how can I? How can I understand unless someone guides me? Have you ever felt like that when you read God's word? Like, you really want to know about Jesus, and so you got a Bible. Maybe you took one of our Bibles home with you, and you read it, and you think, this doesn't make a lick of sense. It's because you're in Lamentations. Skip to the New Testament, and it'll make a lot more sense. We'll help you fill in the gaps. But the Ethiopian eunuch says the same thing that we've all asked. Like, how am I ever going to understand what God is trying to say to me unless there's someone who can explain it to me? Uh, and he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Verse 32, now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Hear what the scripture from Isaiah some 600 years before Jesus said. Like a sheep was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before his shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. Remember when Jesus wouldn't give an answer to Herod when he was on trial? He was just like an innocent lamb, our Passover lamb sacrificed for us. It says in his humiliation, justice was denied him. 
They were bringing false accusations against Jesus. Pilate had a sham of a trial before he handed him over to be crucified. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom I ask you? Does the prophet say this? Was it about himself, Isaiah, or was it about someone else? Verse 35, then Philip opened his mouth and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. As they were going along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded, I I love that language. I mean, this man is an official, but he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both, Philip and the eunuch, went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And they came up out of the water. The spirit of the Lord carried Philip away. The eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. I love it because Pilate's indecision became a decision that gives us the opportunity to know Jesus. And as the Ethiopian eunuch, a few years after the death and the resurrection of Jesus, is trying to figure out faith, he's reading the Old Testament. He said, what does this mean? What does this prophecy mean? It's about a lamb that is silent, that was denied justice. His life was taken from him. And beginning with Isaiah and all of the prophecies, Philip just said, it's all about Jesus. And if you go all in with Jesus, Jesus will give you all you need for life and godliness. And the eunuch commanded the chariot to stop. He got out of his chariot, off of his position of power. He got down into the water. He humbled himself to be baptized so that he might experience life with Jesus. Now, I've said it's an all or, it's an all or nothing proposition. That's not my words. That's Jesus' words. But here's the thing. The invitation is always open. It doesn't matter if you have been, if this is the 50th church you've been to or the first time you're trying to figure out faith. Jesus always extends an invitation. If you put your faith in me, if you put your faith in me, I will give you everything you need for life. Jesus says in John 10, it will not be on the screen, Savannah. Um, I have come that you may have life and have it abundantly. If you will decide today to honor me in the way you live your life, I will give you a life beyond your wildest imaginations. Now, I may have struggle and turmoil so that you know that I'm with you every step of the way, but nonetheless, you will find life. If you'll honor me, if you'll make a decision to honor me in the way you do your relationship, then you'll have a marriage that even if it's difficult at times, will be the perfect metaphor for the relationship between God and his church. If you will honor me in the way you raise a family, I will see that your kids are cared for. If you will honor me in the way you steward your finances, I will see that you're well provided for. If you will make a decision today to honor me in the everyday parts of your life, I will make sure that you find life. It's always been a decision for God's people to make. Joshua chapter 24, verse 14 through 15. We'll finish with this. Joshua is leading the people through the promised land. They are literally on the precipice of the promise of God. The promised land is theirs for the, not just the taking, but for the settling. And he reminds the people that even after all of God's blessings, no matter how long they've been with him, no longer how far they've followed him, they have a daily decision to make. He says, now therefore, Joshua says to the nation of Israel, Now, therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and faithfulness, meaning make a decision every day. Put away the gods that your father served beyond the river in Egypt and serve the Lord. We would not necessarily serve idols today in a physical way, but we serve things like selfishness and pride and insecurity. We serve um, ourselves in the way we steward our relationships. He says, if it's evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, meaning you have a decision, choose this day whom you will serve. Choose this day whom you'll serve. Or the gods your forefathers served beyond the, in the region beyond the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. I've always loved that passage because of the decisiveness of Joshua. And he said, 
choose today. We have a decision to make every day. Who are we going to follow? Are we going to follow Jesus? Or are we going to follow ourselves? Are we going to make a decision? Or are we not going to make a decision? Here's the thing I want to leave you with. Indecision, this trying to delay your decision about Jesus is a decision. And eventually it will determine your destiny. Father, we thank you so much for your goodness and grace. What a privilege it is to gather together as your people to read a text almost 2,000 years in the making and realizing that it is just as relevant to us today as it was to the onlookers who stood there watching Jesus be tried for our sins. Father, I know we come to you from all different places. We come to you, some of us, for the very first time. I pray that your Holy Spirit would stir us. Those questions that we've been asking, that you would just give us confidence. We call that faith, that you are who you say you are. And even if we don't have all the answers today, we'll make a decision to follow you. That we'll stop at the next step station. We'll just admit, I've got questions, but Jesus is the one I'm choosing to follow. Lord, I know many of us have been trying to follow you for a long time. And maybe we've developed some bad habits. Maybe we've stepped away from you. Maybe there's parts of our life that we've allowed sin to grow and selfishness to take root. Lord, I pray that today would be a day of decision, a day that we decide that we're gonna honor you. That we're not gonna open the head, not gonna open the hood and close it without doing a deep dive, but we're gonna figure out where our sin is. That we might let your Holy Spirit cut it away and sanctify us so that we might experience the fullness of life with you. Father, I pray that over our relationships and our marriages and our jobs and our careers and our finances and our families and every part of our life, Lord, that we might make a decision to honor you in the way we steward our life so that we might find life. And then, Lord, there is no greater privilege than sharing that with someone else. Lord, as we figure out faith, as we follow you, that we might be like Philip who gets the opportunity to share with the Ethiopian eunuch the good news of Jesus so that they might in turn make a decision. As your church, as we move into the summer, may we tell the east side of Orlando that this book is all about you. In your son Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.